The threat of China can no longer be denied. Its influence, its dominance in the world has brought us, I think, to a very dangerous tipping point. You know, President Xi's escalated his authoritarian rule at an alarming late. You know, China's in this for the long game. I think for too long in this country, politicians have been way too trusting of this regime and too happy to look away um, and blindly naive to the threat that China poses to our country. And there are very few in Canada who have been willing or brave enough to you know, get to the root of how deep China has infiltrated itself into this country, making us a haven for transnational organized crime that threatens our national security. And the one person that's brave to do it is Sam Cooper. He joins us now. And, of course, we know you, Sam, because of your reporting on these issues on Global News. But now we call you author. Um, I think of one of the most important books to come along in a very long time. It's called Willful Blindness, How a Network of Narcos, Tycoons, and CCP Agents Infiltrated the West. Congratulations and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Alex. All right. So I have to admit, you know, I'm just digging into this book because it's just coming out today. But before I get into some of the substance of the content, my first takeaway is just how layered it is, how detailed it is. You've got names, you've got players, you've got links. I mean, this is not just something that is written and given to a publisher. So a curiosity, how long did this take you to put together? And, and what was it about this particular topic that made you decide, yeah, I want to jump into one of the most complex and complicated issue issues to write about? Well, it's really been a, a very long research process. Uh, the hands-on actual writing process has been, been about three years. And Alex, it, it's gone right up to the, the night of publishing, basically. There were some developments in, in one of the storylines I touched on in the book, uh, an alleged Markham Illegal Casino. So we, we mm -hmm. got an update into the book very, mm -hmm. uh, very close to the wire for publishing. And really, I think I've been looking at this in a deep way for about 10 years. I was a young reporter in Vancouver trying to understand the very uh, surreal real estate market in that city that just had absolutely no tether to local incomes. Uh, you know, it was well known from people who were watching closely, including realtors and developers, that offshore money was a major factor. Uh, so when I started to dig into that, uh, there were, you know, it was a step. It was really a year by year process in, in getting more visibility, as my police friends would say, on the major players in that game. And uh, the major players mm -hmm. are tycoons, uh, mostly from East Asia. Uh, and I found, uh, along with a few others in government that helped me with my research, that they happen to be connected to what's called capital flight. That's corruption money seeking to leave China. The, the effort of discovery was how was it getting out of China and into Canada? And the short answer is through underground banking, underground banking connected to uh, transnational organized crime, heroin trafficking syndicates that been, have been at this game worldwide for many, many years, uh, decades. And so really the book, in a nutshell, it's about a 30-year crime trend in Canada that uh, really, uh, as, as the title says, tycoons, narcotics traffickers, and agents of the Chinese communist regime sought very early in Hong Kong to infiltrate Canadian society through the High Commission by trying to corrupt immigration officials. And so that's one of the angles I get into the book, but really it jumps into a story that... Uh, you, Alex, and others in Canada have been following me follow for the past few years, and that's the casino money laundering mm -hmm. in British Columbia. 
Yeah. And just before I get into that, because it is honestly so detailed of, of what you get into, but I'm curious as to why it took a cub reporter um, from BC, you know, to delve into such a complex topic. I mean, you wonder why a Sam Cooper is willing to and brave enough to do more than those in charge. Like, why hasn't the, the people in security in CSIS been screaming about the threats that have put, I think, this country in a very compromised position? Well, that's a very layered question, and, and it would uh, require a layered, <laughs> layered answer. I, I can tell you that, uh, you know, I, I, I was motivated to dig into this, and I wasn't the only one. There's some other great reporters out in out in BC that uh, have been looking at this for decades. But to be honest, uh, I learned in the reporting process of this book that there's a very determined backlash against uh, efforts to dig into offshore money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the tactics are uh, people, including uh, developers who are the biggest advertisers at newspapers in Vancouver, really tried to, you know, sideline me for my reporting. So that's one example right. of you ask, what does it take to dig into this? It takes a thick skin. It takes, uh, you know, the, the mindset that you're not going to be uh, pushed aside when you get a few uh, uh, insults coming back at you. I'll give you another example that's very new. Andy Yan of Simon Fraser University, one of the best data analysts and research analysts in Canada, did a really a, a very groundbreaking study looking at offshore buying trends in Vancouver. It was controversial at the time, again, due to the people pushing back on the scrutiny of money from other countries and whether it's passing through shady or criminal channels. And yeah. uh, Mr. Yan was criticized just this week by a, uh, a, a senator named Yuan Pao Wu, who alleged that Mr. Yan, uh, a, a Chinese-Canadian academic, was racist for looking at this study. So in a nutshell, there's a lot of pushback right. against people that are digging into uh, the nether regions of this money coming from tycoons, narcotics traffickers, and agents of a foreign regime. Yeah, and you have been reporting on this for years, and I think most people in this country see this kind of seedy underground of the you know the money laundering, the bags of money, the fentanyl. They see this as a BC issue, but it is not. And and you have told us over the years it is a cancer right across this country. You've got drugs flowing into every corner. You've got sex trafficking, money laundering, illegal casinos. You've got these tycoons buying up real estate, certainly in Toronto. It's not a BC problem. Why isn't it a bigger issue for Canadians? Well, there's a few answers. Uh, In Vancouver, uh, it's just... uh... I I explain it that it's most apparent. Uh, It's fair to say that I don't think there's another jurisdiction in the world, uh, including Macau and Las Vegas, where gamblers from a foreign country, in this case mainland China, can fly in and carry a bag stuffed with a million dollars in $20 bills at the high end into a casino. Mm -hmm. Look, that's just the most brazen money laundering you can imagine. And uh, in Vancouver, you have those empty condo towers. Again, as I say, that uh, DEA, that's Drug Enforcement Administration, Agents in the United States are taught to look for the signs of a narco economy. Those would be, you know, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, empty condo towers, places like Miami, Mm -hmm. Panama are known for this. Vancouver, just the proportionality of uh, the money flowing in and the city becoming a hub of global money laundering. It's more apparent, but you're right. 
It's a very big un- underground banking is a huge issue in Toronto. It's a big issue in Montreal. And as my book shows, uh, some of these, the, the most powerfully connected transnational narcos in the world, I say that because they're connected, uh, I found, to the People's Liberation Army in a number of cases. They were set up in Vancouver 20 years ago, but they were very active across the prairies as well. So you're right. Yeah. All, all major Canadian cities uh, have these underground networks uh, working and working into the economy. And Canadians have just been, uh, I think, a little bit naive. Uh, as I say in the latter chapters of the book, I, myself, uh, it took me years for my my sense of Canadian uprightness and Dudley Do-Right sort of uh, image of Canada to be washed away and recognize mm-hmm. that we're open for business for uh, some of the most powerful gangsters in the world. Yeah, I mean, we've got thousands dying in this country of fentanyl, the drugs that are being imported by China. You know, they've got drug labs set up all over the country, trafficked by these gangs that aren't, aren't just flourishing. They're building networks. They're um, connected to the highest levels of power structures in China. And, you know, it's it's unbelievable how deep this goes, how, dec- how long in decades it's been running without anyone, you know, stopping it. A lot of the research you did for this book includes, you know, classified information that was given to you, sensitive information. Um, what surprised you the most that you were not um, expecting, I guess, as far as the players involved in their access to our country's power brokers? Well, that's right. It started really with a, a former police officer from Australia who became an anti-money laundering director in BC Lottery Corporation casinos. And uh, he had been following my writing uh, on these real estate money laundering investigations in Vancouver. And at a certain point in time, he decided uh, he would take the risk of providing me deeply, uh, deeply confidential information that that identified some of these uh, whale, that is VIP backrat players mm-hmm. who flew into Vancouver and uh, his records connected them to uh, an organized crime loan shark, very prolific. And I connected uh, all of them to the Big Circle Boys, a gang that uh, is run out of China with protection from Chinese officials, according to my research. What shocked me was, as I, first of all, just those bags of cash. I mean, that that is something that we don't expect in Canada, the brazenness. But uh, what really blew me away is uh, I, I explain in the book how, you know, I'm a reporter. I come across a lot of things, but I couldn't get my head around the fact that you could have a, an alleged uh, organized crime leader that uh, uh, connected to a foreign military set up with a compound outside of Vancouver that, according to my sources, had a, you know, a, a huge cache of restricted and prohibited weapons. Uh, some of these gamblers related to these people own weapon shops in British Columbia. And so I'll take it one step further. Uh, my mind was blown for good when I recognized that this person, who I'll just call the general for the purposes of this interview, was very closely associated to Chinese consulate figures in Vancouver. So let's just break down what we have here. We have the allegations of uh, Canada's largest ever money laundering investigation, bags of cash going into the casinos, linkages with alleged fentanyl traffickers, and yet uh, this person I'm talking about sitting beside a Chinese official at a celebration and rubbing shoulders with Canadian politicians. In a nutshell, those are the types of findings that that just made me realize I had to get this information out in a readable and engaging way to the Canadian public 
because look, this information, as you've, uh, I think you indicated at the start of the interview, this is sort of high-level intelligence material. But uh, mm-hmm. when does the Canadian citizen get to, you know, you know, absorb this information? And so that was my mission to help yeah. with that. We are talking to Sam Cooper, not just a global news investigative reporter, but now author of Willful Blindness, How a Network of Narcos, Tycoons and CCP Agents Infiltrated the West. And Sam, you talk about the whales. That's how this starts. These lower level operatives who literally, as you mentioned, you know, carried hockey bags of $20 bills brought in from China, taken to BC casinos. Casinos, where for years they were laundered. But we're not talking like millions of dollars. We're talking billions of dollars done right out in the open. And it doesn't seem like anyone was worried about getting caught. Well, that's where the story really gets into uh, the Cullen Commission inquiry. So uh, this book mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. I think, is the background of how that commission came about. Uh, without uh, patting myself on the back here, I mean, there's there's recognition that it took story after story uh, of myself digging into Ross Alderson's leaks and information to just mm-hmm. show, to show people how visible this money laundering was because let's let's be honest here anyone uh, any child could see that there's something wrong about carrying a bag with a million dollars into a casino and yet BC officials the regulators the police knew about this and were doing nothing yeah. about it. That's what the Cullen Commission is examining. And so when we realize, uh, as, as one of my sources in the book says, this was not unwitting on the part of uh, the casino officials, BC government officials. This was uh, mm-hmm. willful blindness. That's a slam dunk. What does that mean legally? It means people mm-hmm. that should know better and should block dirty money did not. As a source said, uh, it's believed they welcomed it. So. Uh, your yeah. question, you know, how did this occur? It has to be some form of corruption, at least by the definition of omission of doing the duty. Let's remember, casinos historically are, are businesses linked to, to criminality in some cases. So there are laws in place where if you res- recognize suspicious transactions, you have to do something to fix it. And that was not done in British Columbia on the casino side. And uh, it's obvious. My book gets into the fact that the people that uh, developed the Macau casino industry got involved in the BC casino industry in many ways. And what do you know? They're the same people involved in the real estate industry in Hong Kong and Macau. And uh, my book shows they're very involved in the real estate development industry, especially in Vancouver. Once BC finally started to crack down on this, then Toronto um, and other cities were the targets. Um, and, and it's interesting because, and I remember when this happened, but Patrick Brown, who was then the leader of the Conservative Party or the, the, the PCs, Ontario PCs, he pushed for Ontario casino contracts to be stopped. They didn't want any more sign. The Liberals then went ahead with it, despite all the warnings from BC. What started, um, you know, as a problem for BC, then became our problem. And we saw the money laundering, the casinos. Then, as you say, it moved into real estate, financing, and then essentially infiltrating and taking advantage of of Canada's, I guess, economic loopholes. Absolutely. And you mentioned that Ontario casino contract. Uh, My my book shows that uh, now that some evidence has come out in the Cullen Commission, the company behind that contract was very worried about uh, the exposure of the stories in British Columbia focusing on BC's issues because they thought that it could endanger those uh, lucrative Toronto area contracts. 
And you're right, uh, it didn't in the end. Those contracts went ahead. But it, it's easy for me to understand why there was such a, a pushback on the reporting in British Columbia, because mm-hmm. people like the CEO of the company, Great Canadian Gaming, Rod Baker, did not want to see those Ontario contracts jeopardized. And so uh, you ask, why did the Conservative Party stop sort of banging the table and saying, let's let's put a, a you know, a pause on this? Why did the Liberal Party let this go ahead? Uh, my book raises those questions. You know, could it have anything to do with the influence of uh, senators with links to the company? I think... Uh, Really, let me get to the point. I think we need more than a BC inquiry. I think we need a national inquiry to answer some of these questions, such as that Ontario contract question, or as my book takes a a travel back in time to Hong Kong in the 1990s, when a number of diligent investigators tried to warn Ottawa about very, very high-level organized crime figures seeking to immigrate to Canada and invest, and for the most part, those warnings were ignored. Right, but but to do so, that would require those at the highest levels turning, um, you know, the lens on themselves, and that's why I think this is not uh, going to happen. I hope I hope it does, but you know, when you lay out all the connections um, of the lower gang members, right up to Chinese highest rulers, and then you lay out, you know, how the networks have infiltrated to the power pl- players in Ottawa and right across really governments uh, across this this country, people meeting. I mean, there's pictures of people like uh, Justin Trudeau in your book. Um, and you say the Trudeau government and other governments had been warned repeatedly about this this threat of China's united front, and all of it got ignored. And so, again, I think a lot of people say, well, will these connections ever be, um, you know, exposed and people be held to account? That's that's the question in my mind. Uh, look, the, the only way I can answer that, uh, Alex, is it, it's obvious to me that a number of sources uh, in that I've quoted or looked at these stories through uh, their eyes in my book came forward to me at, at personal career risk because they 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 realize how uh, how dangerous the situation is, as you said at the start of this interview for Canada. The level of compromise mm-hmm. is it. it it's just a, a very scary situation. As a, a source is quoted uh, near the end of the book, this is a 30-year crime trend that uh, there's no doubt that it has reached you know, high levels of power in some cases in Ottawa, certainly in British Columbia. And uh, so you ask the right question. Why would people with, their, uh, with the handles on power allow themselves to be scrutinized? I think really the answer is there, there needs to be political will, and for that to happen, uh, a lot of people hopefully will get to understand the findings of this book and uh, demand uh, answers. Listen, uh, I'll add this. The RCMP, Canadian Security Intelligence Services, very good agencies, but uh, in some ways seem to be politically handcuffed. Uh, that that comes out in my book, I think, that uh, Canadian intelligence and law enforcement, a lot of smart men and women, uh, some groundbreaking reports where the uh, the power structure in Ottawa didn't do anything with the reports, and the question is why. Yeah, and for people to understand how it affects them, we're talking about like this fuels the sex trafficking industry that um, ex- you know exploits women and young girls, uh, the fentanyl overdoses we hear about across on you know Canadian streets, um, the uh, the uh, house that you want to buy and can't afford because so much money has been laundered through the real estate market, driving up the price. That's how it affects everyday Canadians. In your mind, knowing what you know, Sam, do you think the the damage here can be undone? 
the damage, uh, I, I have to be optimistic myself. Uh, my, my mindset is uh, every story, uh, every book, it's a chance to, to uh, put some leverage on the people uh, who are elected to serve the Canadian people. They're not elected to, uh, to serve business elites or, or leaders in foreign governments. And let's just break down what you said about the consequences. Look, a, a super lab in British Columbia was mm-hmm. busted just the last week. The RCMP say it was capable of producing 26 kilograms of raw uh, fentanyl per week. That's enough to kill 13 million Canadians per week. And as my book mm. shows in the final chapter, Vancouver especially has become a global hub of fentanyl pre- production with precursors coming in through well-established routes from factories in China. And the setup is there. And it's not just Canadians at risk. Uh, that Those labs working out of British Columbia are sending uh, fentanyl pills, especially to countries yeah. like Australia and Japan. So we have we we need to answer to our our global allies, and uh, I think you know why does it matter to Canadians? Well, a lot of people would like this country to to live up to our the image that we have of it, uh, what we were taught with, and uh, my my own fear is that uh, Canada is is not doing that right now. In writing this book, um, would you admit that you've put yourself at great risk to expose the truth? Uh, the the risks are uh, I'll, I'll put it this way I have uh, I've relied on uh, advice from from uh, sources that you know they become people that you can go to in law enforcement or intelligence when mm-hmm. when you know some worrying disinformation uh, counterattacks on stories come out that are very personal very sort of uh, involving legal threats, uh, I can go to people and, and they can help confirm that, uh, you know, th- these aren't accidental misinformation attacks. They do seem to emanate from uh, uh, mainland China. Let's just be, uh, let's put that right out there. My book has a chapter. Again, I, I'm not uh, seeking to tell my own story of being attacked. I'm seeking to show how critics of, uh, of mainland China obviously become targets of attack because China does not want us to report on things such as the genocide in in Xinjiang or their government's lack of uh, effort to stop fentanyl trafficking around the world. So uh, risk, uh, certainly there's legal risk. I I won't lie about that. I get my share of legal letters, uh, but my belief is that this this is the truth here and uh, Canadians support it coming out. So uh, I'll be fine. Sam Cooper, I can only say that this is one hell of an achievement in in writing this because it it is not an easy read and and I'm looking at this saying, my God, the work that went into it. So congratulations. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Thank you, Alex. The author is Sam Cooper. The book, Willful Blindness, How a Network of Narcos, Tycoons and CCP Agents Infiltrated the West. It is now on sale in bookstores. It is absolutely one of the most important reads in this country today. It is what I will be reading on the long weekend.